Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. This morning, um, if you have your Bibles, uh, as you can see, we're continuing in our series in the book of Joshua. And uh, this series has been uh, especially meaningful just because we're, we're learning how to follow God through, through difficult times. Um, we're, we're, we're learning how to be strong and courageous and obedient um, through things that are, are really difficult. And I have a question as we begin this morning, as we go to God's Word, um, as you turn over to the book of Joshua. My question this morning for you is, are you facing something that feels impossible? Are you facing something that feels impossible this morning? Uh, Because this morning, as we look at the book of Joshua, we're going to learn how to deal with an impossible situation, an impossible situation. I I, I believe that each one of us have have faced a situation where we're like, we just throw up our hands. We're like, "We, we can't do it. We can't control it. We can't manage it. Who, who, who here has experienced something like that before? Just, just raise up your hand. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you, if you live life for, for any, any distance at all, um, you will know that uh, you cannot do it all. You can't control everything. And, and there are things that you encounter that feel impossible. Well, in those times where things feel impossible is where faith grows and our eyes are turned to the Lord. And so today we're going to talk about how to deal with an impossible situation. Our text is Joshua chapter 3 and chapter 4. And if you notice, if you just glance at that, you'll notice that's a big portion of Scripture this morning. Um, and so we are going to be doing a lot of reading today. So if you have your Bibles, or if you have the Pew Bible, I encourage you to use that, because that's um, in the ESV version. That's the version I'm using. Or if you're using your device, you can just switch over to ESV. Um, you'll be able to track along. We'll have it on the screen as well. But um, as we read along, we are going to, to learn how, how God used these Israelites in their impossible situation. There are some principles that we can learn from what, what they did as well. So Joshua 3 and 4, um, we'll notice right away the context that we're coming to, we, if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, is that uh, Moses, their previous leader, who delivered them out of Egypt, um, helped them to, to, to cross the Red Sea and um, led them to, to receive the Ten Commandments, God's law for them. And then led them to the promised land where they shrunk back in fear because, because of the ten spies that returned with the negative report. Um, they've been in the desert for over 40, for, well not over 40 years, for 40 years. And now Moses has died and Joshua is their new leader. And so under this, under this leadership of Joshua, God has told Joshua, go and take this land that I have promised to you. And so, so we are here right on the brink, right on the edge of them going to take this land. And it says in Joshua chapter 3 verse 1, we see what, what Joshua leads these people to do. It says this, that then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and they lodged there before they passed over. Now, you may not see an impossible situation here yet, but I do. 
because the Israelites had found themselves in an impossible situation, um, and it was a river. And you may not think, oh, a river's no big deal. Just cross, cross the bridge. You know, you'll, you'll get across, right? Well, guess what? They had no bridge. They had no bridge. It was one thing for two spies. Remember the two spies last week that crossed, crossed over and went and spied out Jericho and met the woman that God had, had in mind to, to redeem, that woman Rahab? It was one thing for those two spies to cross the Jordan River, but it was another thing for two million people to cross the Jordan, along with all of, all of their possessions. They were crossing in to take the land, okay? Just for illustration's sake, you, you know that the population of West Virginia is 1.8 million people? It would be like the whole population of West Virginia gathered on the shores of the banks of the Ohio River, expecting to cross it without a bridge, that's how impossible the situation was. That's what the Israelites were encountering right now. How in the world were they going to get across without a boat, without a bridge? And we see right away that in verse 2, Joshua continues to lead them. It says in verse 2 that at the end of the three days, the officers went through the camp and they command, commanded the people... As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and you shall follow it. And so what was being told these people is follow after God. When you see the Ark, which was the presence of God, where, where, where God dwelt with his people, follow after it. Follow after God. And, and here's where we see this first principle of how to deal with your impossible. If you're dealing with something impossible, first principle that we learn is to, number one, is to follow Jesus. If you're taking notes, that's the first note. Follow Jesus. Anything begins with that. Any impossible begins with that. You'll notice Joshua did not send out the Army Corps of Engineers to go and build, build a massive structure so that the Israelites could, could then cross over. No, Joshua knew that their problem was not physical. It was spiritual. It was spiritual. You may be like, well, that, that river, sure, physical. No, they were dealing with, actually, he, he had the, enough sense to know that my God, he controls everything. He's the creator of the universe. And so my God can help us cross this physical barrier through his spiritual power. And, and I, I believe that often when we're thinking of the problems that we have, the impossibles that we have, too often we think of them as physical problems, don't we? We think, oh, if only my husband would just change. If he would do, just do things differently, then my marriage would be, be fixed, you know? Um, maybe we think, oh, if, if my wife would just stop spending money, you know, we think of this in physical terms, but, but we, never, we never think of these things, or we, sometimes we, we don't think of the problems that we have as being spiritual. Actually, more often than not, our problems are spiritual. Your marriage, your relationship issues, financial issues, your addiction issues, your health problems, dig down deep, and you'll find that at the core your problems are not physical, they are spiritual. And that's what we would learn from Joshua, is that Joshua chose to fight, he called them spiritual problems, with spiritual forces. 
spiritual forces. It says in verse 4 that uh, he gave these people a warning and then gave them some direction as to how they were to follow God. Number four, verse 4, as we, as, we, as we keep on reading, it, it says this. He said, yet there shall be a distance between you and it. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Ark of the Covenant. This Ark, this box that, that they, they, they carried, carried along with them and kept in the, in the Holy of Holies, in, in their tabernacle. The priest would carry this along. Okay, and He said, you shall keep a distance between you and it about 2,000 cubits in length. He said, don't come near it in order that you may know the way you should go. For you have not passed this way before. So two things we see is that Joshua gives a warning. He says, stay about 2,000 cubits in length behind it. That's about 1,000 yards. Stay away from it. Okay, we actually have accounts in Scripture that God's holiness and God's presence was so tangible that, that if people got too close to it, they were killed. That was, that, that, that's how dangerous this was. If you read the Old Testament, you'd be like, wow, this is crazy. Like, this was the presence of God dwelling with his people. He said, he said here's, here's a warning, stay, stay far away from it. Let the priests carry it. And then the second thing was, was he, he told them, he gave them some direction. He said, he said, he said stay away for, from it and respect God's holiness, but also make sure, that, make sure that you watch where they're going and follow after them so that you can know the way. Now, that's, that's in verse 4. And what, what I see from this is, is he was basically trying to tell the people, don't get ahead of God. Don't get ahead of God. Don't try and do this in your own strength. And often when we face an impossible situation, our first reaction is to control Take control. I'm going to do this in my own strength. I'm going to muscle through it. I'm going to, I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to take control. I'm going to step out in my own strength. I'm going to do it my way. And what God is saying here is, follow me. Follow after me. It goes along with that, that first principle that, that we just talked about is follow after Jesus. Don't get ahead of him. And so if you're facing an impossible situation... Your first step, your first step is follow Jesus. It may sound basic, but it's true. It's true. Are you following Jesus in this impossible situation you're facing right now? Are you following Jesus? Jesus, he actually, he said this in John 8 verse 12. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You want to walk in light? Number one, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. What's the second principle that we can see? We're going to move on to verse 5. And Joshua, he tells the people to consecrate themselves. That's the second, second uh, point that you, you need to learn is, is if you're facing an impossible, consecrate yourself. We're going to explain that for you. Actually, we're going to take a, a little bit of time on this because I think it's a principle that, that we don't actually talk about very often within the church, but it's really important for us to understand what is being communicated here. Verse 5, read it with me. It says in verse 5 that, that Joshua, then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. What does he mean? What does he mean by consecrate? This idea of the word consecrate literally meant 
to wash yourselves, wash your clothes, purify yourself, make, make yourself clean. But it was also used, if we study the Old Testament, to speak of how we steward our sexuality. And yeah, we want to talk about that right now because that's what, was, that's what he was saying. You need to wash yourselves. You need to purify yourselves of those things that are impure sexually about you. You need to follow my way and you need to repent of the things that you are doing that is against my way. Where do we get this from actually? In Exodus chapter 19 under Moses, before they received the Ten Commandments, it says Moses went down from the mountain to the people and he said he consecrated the people and they washed their garments and he said to the people, be ready for the third day, don't go near a woman. Now here's what Joshua is saying, he's saying... If you want to get through your Jordan, you're going to need to consecrate yourself first. In fact, if you want to get through your Jordan, you will never walk in God's promises while you are living in sin. I'm going to bring that up on the screen because I think it's important for us to realize is that you will never get through your Jordan or your impossible and walk in God's promises while you are living in sin. And that's what Joshua was communicating to the people. He was saying, you need to repent of those things that are impure in you. Because if you're going to follow God and walk in obedience to Him, you cannot at the same time be living in habitual sin that you're not repenting of. And that, that's, that's what we mean by this statement here. I know we all sin. We all sin. But what God calls us is to repent of our sin and not live habitually in it. Talking about a person who says, I want God's blessing, but I'm going to do me. Have you ever heard that phrase before? You do you. You do you. I hear this all the time, especially on social media. You do you. You do you. You know, I'm not going to judge. You know, you do you. You know, but did you know that that actually can go against God and set ourselves up as being God. And that's ultimately what sin is. It's, it's going our own way, going our own direction, setting ourselves up as I, I'm, I'm the measure of, of what is right and wrong. Do you know that that goes against God? It does. It does. And so, so when someone says, I'm going to just do me, I'm going to just do things my way, oftentimes that is against what God has said. Can I ask you something? In our lives, there are some areas where we say, well, I, God, I believe you, I trust you. Trust you for salvation, but um, in this case, God, um, I don't want you trespassing on the things that, that I believe is right. I'm going to do things my way. No trespassing, God. Or we say, God, um, keep out. Keep out. You can't have this part of my life. You can't have my sexuality. You can't have my money. You can't have my career. I'm going to do things my way. Don't mess with my stuff, God. No trespassing, God. Keep out. Yeah, I'll, I'll, believe, your, I'll, I'll believe your word. You know, I'll, 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 I'll you know, learn the Bible. I'll memorize verses. I'll go to church. I'll, I'll give a little money in the offering plate, but keep out. Keep out of the rest of my life. You may not be consciously doing that, but practically you may be living as an, as an atheist. Did you know that? 
practically a lot of us live that way. And I, I'll, I'll admit, oftentimes throughout my week, I find myself living as a practical atheist, saying, God, keep out, not trusting God. You'll never get through your Jordan and walk in God's promises while living in sin. Can I give you some examples of this? Um, I've been a pastor for a number of years, and, and I've, heard, I've heard some crazy things. Can I, can I share some of them with you? Believers saying things like, I had someone come up to me saying, uh, Pastor, I, it's a while ago, I, I, I believe that God is leading me to get a divorce. You probably heard that before too. I believe God is leading me to get a divorce. And my response was, okay, so help me understand this. You, you believe that God is going to bless you for willfully doing something that God says that he hates. God's leading me to get a divorce? You believe you're going to be blessed for disobedience? No. You'll never get through your Jordan and walk in God's promises while living in sin. You won't. Here's, here's another one. And, and, and this, is, this is a topic that, that is so sensitive these days, but I don't know why it's so sensitive. Maybe it's just because it's affected all of us. Okay? Can I speak in love to you and just say this? There is another example of a prevalent movement within the church that is pushing us, pushing churches all around the United States, all, all around the world, that we are to affirm and accept and support and celebrate those that are living in homosexual unions, those that are engaging in homosexual um, behavior acting and embracing maybe a gender that is not their own, the whole transgender movement today. Can we be honest? What does God's word say about that? God's word says this is a sin, that homosexuality is a sin, that transgender behavior is a, is a sin, that God created the male and female. And do we believe God's word? Let's say in this church, yes, we do. We believe God's word. Can we love you at the same time as saying that? I believe we can. I believe we can because at the same time as God calls homosexuality a sin, he calls greed a sin and murder a sin, right? He calls, he calls lust a sin and stealing and anger and drunkenness and adultery and gluttony. Now, for some reason, we think homosexuals, you know, some of you think homosexuality, that, that's off limits, right? Can I just say, no, it's not? It's not. It's just like greed and lust and anger and gluttony. It's all a sin. And we cannot walk through our Jordan if we'll continue to live in sin and affirm those who are living in sin. We cannot celebrate and take pride in what God hates and be blessed by God. We can't. I know these are hard words for some of you. But it's the truth, and it's because we love you enough to tell you that. We love you. We love you. Romans 6, verse 1 and 2 says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. By no means. And that's what Joshua was telling these people. Stop, 
Stop living in sin. Stop living in habitual sin. How can we who died to sin still live in it? See, we want to be a church that's full of grace here. But we cannot be a church that is full of grace unless we are also a church full of truth in love. And so that, that's what we intend to be. And we cannot effectively live in grace unless we know what we are getting grace for. You can't know what you're getting grace for unless you agree with God about sin. So let's believe him. Let's be a culture of grace and let's be a culture of truth. A culture that calls sin, sin. A culture that loves people enough to tell them the truth. So God says, I'm going to get you through your Jordan. But if I'm going to get you through your Jordan, then you're going to have to consecrate yourself. You're going to have to repent of your sins. Follow me and walk with me, okay? Number three, number three, we're getting to to verse six. Getting to verse six, it says, Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. And so they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests to bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. So follow Jesus, consecrate yourself. The third point is this, stand still. Stand still. How did God tell them that they were going to accomplish the impossible? By standing still. By standing still. As you go on to verse 9, it says that Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you will know that the living God is among you. And that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hivites, uh, Hittites and the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jesuits. Here is how you will know. By standing still. By standing still. You know that you, just like Israel, are told to stand still when you face the most impossible situation ever, and that's salvation. I mean, who, who, who's come back from death, right? Who's come back from death, right? Nobody, right? I mean, we see a few accounts in Scripture, but that was from God. Who's come back from death? Death is the ultimate. That's the biggest impossible all. What Jesus said is, now you stand still. You stand still. For it is by grace that you are saved through faith. And it's not a work of your own. It's a gift of God so that no one may boast. You're told to stand still. Did you know that? Follow Jesus. Repent of your sins. Consecrate yourself. Stand still. Stand still. Trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And that's what he was telling Israel to do. He's saying, saying when you get there, stand still. And this is how you'll know that I am all-powerful. I am God. You may be facing an impossible situation today. 
You'll be thinking, well, how how is this going to be impossible? How is this going to be possible? And Jesus may be calling you at this moment to just wait on him, to just wait. You know, it says in Scripture also, Isaiah 40, verse 31, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So follow Jesus. Consecrate yourself. Stand still. But don't just stand still forever. What God may be calling you to is also then to walk. To walk. Uh, Fourth point here, as we get into verses 11 through 17, is, is number four. Is he calls these people to step out in faith. Step out in faith. Let's read this longer section of Scripture, 11 through 17. And it says here in the text, starting in verse 11, he said, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the, when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. And the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Now here we see Joshua. He chooses to see opposition as opportunity. And that's what we can see when we face an impossible situation is that, that when there is opposition, where there, where there is an impossible, there is an opportunity for us to show our faith, to put our faith in an all-knowing, all-sufficient God. And in verse 14, he goes on to say this, So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that was beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the sea of Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite of Jericho. Can I just explain what happened? You, you heard it. It was pretty clear that these priests began walking in, in, in procession, walking right down into a river that looked like it was never going to stop. Who of you saw the Ohio River this morning as you were driving? Yeah, holy smokes, flood stage. You don't want to go out in a boat. Some of, some of you, boatside delivery still has to make their deliveries. But, but, uh, but man, don't go in the river right now because it is at flood stage. That's what this river was. It was not stopping. It was, there was no human way that this, this river was going to be stopped. And Joshua had told the priest, just keep on walking. Keep on walking step by step, and, and they, they walked right down into the river that was flooding over its banks. Can I tell you something? Sometimes we want to see a dry riverbed before we step out in faith. But what God is calling you to do, what God was calling Israel to do, was to walk into that river that was overflowing its banks, that looked impossible. 
Sometimes you just need to step out in faith and trust God for the results. It says, as the priests dipped their toe into the water, what happened? They walked right up and, boom, the water stood in a heap all the way up. Okay, and as, as we keep on reading, it says, says that uh, now the priest, in verse 17, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all of Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nations finished passing over the Jordan. Two things I want you to see in this. Probably even more miraculous than the water standing up in a heap was what did they say about this this path that had been created through this river? It was dry ground. It was dry ground. I mean, if you've ever gone out in the Ohio River, I mean, what's it like on its banks? It's just mud, pure mud. And I can imagine that's that's what that river looked like as well. Probably more miraculous was that these people, God had enough sense to dry the riverbed so that these two million people could cross over on dry land. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that can only be explained by God. Now think about this also. Where, where was the Ark of the Covenant and where were, where were the priests? Standing in the middle. In the middle of that river. You know that God is present with you in your impossible That's what I believe it communicates. God is present with you in your impossible. We have a God who is present with us in our impossible. Take courage in that and know that as you step out in faith. So after the nation crosses over this river, God commands Joshua to set up a memorial. And that's number five. When you face an impossible and you see God do the impossible, when you see God work, He calls us to also then set up a memorial. That's what these next two points are going to be about. We're going to jump into chapter 4 now. And I know there's probably a lot more that we could cover, but we're going to just read through this chapter 4 mostly and not, not even comment on a lot of it. But what God calls these people to do is to remember his work. Remember what he has done because we are so forgetful. And here's, here's what he says. It says, when all the nation finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight." So he's saying, take some souvenirs. While you're there in the riverbed, take some souvenirs with you to remember what I did. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel. And there were 12 tribes. That this may be a sign among you when your children ask in times to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. 
When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. They were to set up a memorial. It was to remind them of God's faithfulness. They were crossing into this promised land. And what it was also reminding these children and the children's children was that their battles were not over. As they entered into the promised land, they were going to face even more, more struggles. And they were going to need to demonstrate more faith in God. But as they experienced trouble, as they experienced problems, they knew that their God was bigger than their problems. And that's the same for us. You may get through this impossible right now that you're facing, but just know, Jesus even promised that if you're a follower of Jesus in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Your impossible might be big, but your God is bigger. That's what this is communicating here. You're not going to live a trouble-free, pain-free, problem-free life, but you're going to have a God who is with you in that, in that pain, in that trouble, in that problem. And so each, each tribe was to take a stone from the riverbed. I imagine these were very large stones. And they were to take them and then set them up. And we'll, we'll read about that in the next point. But the purpose of that memorial was so that the people of Israel could teach their children about the great things that God had done. So that the work of God could not be forgotten. And I don't know about you. But I need to do this more often. I do, personally. Because I believe that I am prone to spiritual amnesia. Who else would say that as well? Yeah. I mean, God leads us through these big things and, and, and then we just forget. We forget about the faithfulness of God. Forgetting what God has done in the past. And he tells us, I want you to build a memorial to remember what I did so that you can tell your children and your children's children and your children's children that, they, that it won't be forgotten. Keep on going. Read verse 9. It says in verse 9, then, um, then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there till this day. There's actually two memorials that were set up. One Joshua set up, actually, in the middle of the river. He took stones himself and set it up there. I imagine even maybe in a time of drought, maybe when the water was, was way, way down, maybe those stones could be seen. In times of drought, we need to remember God's faithfulness. But then we're going to see in this next chapter that they, they were going to set up a memorial in a city that they took. And so if you're dealing with something impossible, follow Jesus, consecrate yourself, Stand still, step out in faith, five, set up a memorial. Last one. So we end this chapter four. We are to tell the story of the stones. Tell the story of the stones. That's, that's point number six. So we read verse 19 through the end of the chapter. We see, see these words. It says in verse 19, The people, they came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. And they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what, sh what do these stones mean? What do these stones mean? They shall, then you shall let your children know 
Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, as he dried, dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. That's the end of the chapter. But it's not the end of the story. We're going to see the rest of the story in the weeks ahead. But what we know is that uh, God was telling them, remember me. Remember what I did right here so that you can tell your kids. And mothers, um, this is often something that you do for us, don't you? You remind us of God's faithfulness. It's something that uh, you guys may be into making books, photo books or scrapbooks or you know, some of those things that, that uh, we fathers maybe aren't, aren't as much into. But there are ways that we can set up remembrances of what God did in the past. And um, I had a cool story I wanted to share with you. Uh, when we were up in Michigan living in Traverse City, one of our elders and his wife, um, we were able to sit down with them and interview them because they had been through so much, so much trouble, so much pain. And they decided, we're going to do, we're going to do what, um, what Joshua commanded the people to do. We're going to set up a memorial. Every time that we encounter something really hard or difficult, we're going we're gonna to take something and we're going to remember it. So I want you to check out their story. I'm gonna, it's a five-minute video. I want to play it for you, and we'll end our service. But uh, be encouraged by this, and maybe take it as an example for you with your family. So watch this video a second. Okay. Um, yeah. Maybe. Do you want us to introduce ourselves? Yeah, that'd be okay. awesome. Do you want to introduce yourself? <laughs> or do you want me to? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> We've got to pull this together. Are you ready? I'm ready. Go I'm ahead. Ready. I'm Brian Harsey, and this is my wife, Kim, and we've been married for how many years? 36. 36. Got it. I was born and raised in southern Minnesota on a farm, dairy farm. And uh, Kim was raised in southern Michigan. When I was seven years old, I fell down a hay chute, 22 feet, head first, hit bare concrete. And to survive that, the doctors didn't know how I survived or why I survived. We have a shadow box downstairs, and you had brought this up. We have articles in our shadow box downstairs, everything from a little yellow matchbox Vega, am I saying mm -hmm. that correctly, car, that Brian had an accident in high school. This is when he fell down the hay chute. And our children, when they were young, would go and get these. And they would crawl up on Brian's lap and they would say, Daddy, tell us the story about, and then whatever article they had in their hand, Brian would tell the story. One time you said to Benjamin. The doctors have no explanation as to why I survived that fall. And sitting on my lap, he looked up and said, Daddy, I know why Jesus let you live. He knew that I needed you as my daddy. Mm -hmm. And to realize again and recognize that God ordains every day of our life. He's there for us when we have health difficulties and accidents. And he is there to protect us. And he is there to heal uh, wounded hearts. And he is heal there to heal marriages uh, that we saw God heal our marriage in an, in an incredible way. His faithfulness. 
is always there. And so many times we think that the gospel is just the point of salvation, but the gospel lasts our entire lifetime. And then the fulfillment of the gospel is our ultimate call to be at home with him. You know, this may sound kind of crazy, but we would sleep with our Bibles next to us because that's all we had. I mean, it was just like, Lord, I have nothing else. It's you. That's it. That's all I have. And this Bible, I just so want it. This is the closest thing I can have to you. And so to have this, I have you. And that's that's all I want. After my the traumatic brain injury that happened um, in 2006, um, I was I was out of commission, basically. But we would go to bed, or I would. Get, they would, I guess, put me to bed, tuck me in at night, and then they would bring my Bible around and tuck it under my pillow. Ezekiel, he was like four, and he would, would needs, come in. Daddy needs his Bible. Mm -hmm. He would come in and just say, can I pray over you? So so childlike. And we'd be lying in bed, and, and he would just, he would pray over us. But it's like for our children to know that God is just so important to us. We're not going to survive without him. I think one of the richest, probably one of the richest times that, that we would remember in the last 14 years, 15 years, we were going through some very dark hours and Kim sat down at the piano and just started playing. And our boys were sitting on the couch in the chair in the living room here. And, and I walked over and God gave me the strength of voice just to start singing praise to the Lord in that darkest, difficult time. And that still is something that they talk about to this mm -hmm. day. And that night, one of them said, Dad, Mom, how are you guys doing this? Because their hearts were broken. Our hearts are broken. And yet, again, the hope of the gospel message is not it, it, it's so much of salvation, but it goes so far beyond That's salvation. Starting That's, That's the starting point. That's the launching point. And then you begin to realize mm -hmm. the depth of the gospel, mm -hmm. the hope of the gospel, the encouragement of the gospel, the energy of the gospel that we have to plug into every day. Did God give me a healing? We were talking about it just the other day. Did God heal me? I wasn't, and I haven't gotten back to where I want to be. But the very fact that we're still together as a family. We're still together as husband Our and marriage wife. marriage is still together. <laughs> is evidence that the gospel is living. Mm -hmm. That God mm -hmm. plans our days and our steps. They're not easy. Mm -hmm. You go through difficult times. But it's because of the gospel from cover to cover that we have that truth and that confidence that we have a living God that loves us and cares for us and walks with us every step of the way. And could never be more faithful. Right. Mm -hmm. Amen. As you can see, uh, Brian and Kim had been through it, and I know that actually recently they're still growing, going through it as well because uh, the brain injury that Brian had, he, he in the last couple weeks, um, it flared back up, and uh, he had to totally cut off work, totally cut off any kind of communication or phone calls because any stress can make it, make it worse. Like we said, man, you may deal with an impossible situation, but... After, after it ends, there's probably something else coming. But the hope that you have is the hope of the gospel. It's the hope of Jesus. That this life is not the end. That Jesus has come to redeem you and to use whatever difficulty you've gone through.
what you're going to go through for good. And so as we close, let me just ask you, what's the impossible situation you're dealing with right now? Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Commit yourself to him. Trust that he's going to work. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Let's commit ourselves to the Lord as we end this service. Father, I thank you that you are the faithful God. Thank you that you are the one that can redeem those things that are so difficult and broken and impossible. God, that you can make us new. Thank you, God, that you were the one that just as Israel passed through these waters of the Jordan, made a way for us to pass through the waters of death. Lord, you went to the cross. You humbled yourself for us. That anyone that has faith in you might be saved. So, Father, I pray if there's anyone here that's struggling right now, dealing with something impossible, God, that they would just, just surrender it to you. Say, Lord Jesus, you're faithful. I believe you're good. That you are bigger than my problems right now. We thank you, God, that you're in control. So we keep on praying right now. I know that there's some of you here that maybe even are hearing about Jesus for the first time, and this is your chance to respond to him in faith. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And I want to come to the Father through you. If that's you, just raise up your hand right now if you want to know Jesus, if you want to, want to have that assurance of salvation. Praise God, yeah. Praise God. For those of you that just raised up your hand, let me just lead you in a prayer. Lord Jesus, would you save me? Just like you saved Israel, God, would you save me? I know that I'm a sinner, and so I consecrate myself to you. I stand in faith in the work that you have done, and I want to walk in obedience to you the rest of my life. Lord Jesus, I want to be your child. Make me part of your family. Make me new. And bring me to your paradise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ. 